we have faith that there's a God. Most of us, right, it's church, so most of us have faith in Jesus Christ. But then when life happens, we realize that we actually struggle to believe what we say we believe. And there are certain things that happen where you need faith that requires an extra measure of faith. So we looked at David and how he faced opposition. And he needed faith to go after Goliath when everybody else was sitting and scared to death of him. And that you can have encouraging strength from God to face opposition. Then we talked about trouble. And everyone, Jesus said, every one of you, you're going to have trouble in this world. But I can tell you this, this is one of the biggest things that attacks our faith is when life gets hard. So you need faith that requires faith. And David had that. And then last week we found out that, but then David's life is good. He's just, everything is finally cranking. He's, he's seated in the throne. Everything is wonderful. And again, most of us, when life gets really good, we kind of set God to the side. Because now he did what we wanted him to do, make our life good. But David, even when life was good, he knew how to keep walking with him. So when you walk, in, or when you read the scriptures, 2 Samuel is kind of where we'd be. All of life is wonderful and it's good. And then you get to chapter 11. And when you get to chapter 11, it says, when the kings go off to war, which David was the king, he decided to sit back because life was good. And then, as I said last week, he looked out and saw Bathsheba, and he said, and she's good. And so the king, and when he says, who is that? They say, that's Bathsheba. They say, Uriah's wife. So he knows she's married. He says, bring her to me, sleeps with her. And I would say that's a very gentle term. And I, and, I, and I mean that. He wasn't sleeping with her. This was absolute adultery, probably rape. Because she had no intention to be with him. This is the man after God's own heart. She gets pregnant, right? So now she gets pregnant from this whole thing, lets David know. He's like, uh-oh, I got to cover this up. Any of, you, any of you in here ever screw up? Okay, four, okay. The rest of you, you just screwed up. Because you lied. So, so here's, the, here's the truth. So David, how has to cover up his failure? So what does he do? He calls Uriah in. He says, man, thank you so much for being a faithful warrior. So here's what I need you to do. Man, why don't you go home and be with your wife? And then he finds out he didn't go home. He wouldn't go home. He's like, why didn't you go home? He's like, how can I go home when Joab... Your commander of, of the armies and all my other brothers are out there fighting. There's far be it for me to do such an evil thing. <laughs> David's like, okay, that didn't work. You know what he does? This is the man after God's own heart. He says, why don't you stay a couple more days? Brings him in, gets him drunk. Because he's thinking, well, if he's drunk, now he can't, he won't be able to stay. Now he will actually go with his wife. Even when he was drunk, he wouldn't sleep with his wife. So what's David do? Okay, Joab, here's what I need you to do. I'm going to send Uriah back out. you got to put him in the front where the worst attack will be. And when he's there and the attack comes, you pull all the men back. You kill Uriah. This is the man after God's own heart. And he failed. Big time. How about you? In your walk, in your life, what do you do when you fail? I can tell you this, man, from personal experience. 
You do need faith that requires an extra measure of faith. You're going to have to believe and fight to believe. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay? Let me pray for us. Jesus, there's not one of us in this room who hasn't failed big time. So I just pray right now that you would fill this room with your presence because we understand that you are filled with grace and truth. And we know that truth sets us free. So we just pray that you would speak today. I'm asking God that you would speak to each person in this room. Meet us where we, our deepest need is. Come with your grace and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a reading from uh, Psalm 51. For the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. <laughs> have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart that you, O God, will not despise. Well, one thing is true, <clears throat> is that whenever we really fail, it's incredibly humbling, isn't it? You may think you're all this man after the God's own heart, king of Israel, <laughs> and then when you fail, it's super humbling. So I think that's why someone asked me to go golfing on Friday. <laughs> I don't think there is a more humbling sport on earth, amen? <laughs> Especially when you go like once a year, <laughs> like me. And you get out there, and, and, I mean, and, and here's the craziest thing about golf. Because every time you line up for a shot, you are bound and determined it's going right at that flag. <laughs> and then every time, well, not every time, right? So some of the times it actually went straight. It actually landed in the fairway. Because there is a God, and miracles still do happen. <laughs> but most of the time, you are constantly failing and it's great, right? Because we have these three other guys, and you're giving it all that you've got, and it's so humbling. That feeling, what happens to you when you try your best, but you fail? 
You know, I, I would say in two areas, for me and I'm sure for all of you, one of the ways where we fail is at work. When you're at work and you know that you've given it the best you had, or maybe you didn't give it and you know that you didn't give it the best that you had. And you're failing at what you're supposed to be doing. See, because work matters to us, because we get our esteem and our value and other people's opinions based on our work, it really matters. So when you fail at work, it can really hurt you. So at work is a huge place where we struggle with failure, and then the other places with relationships with, with other people. And I, I want to tell you, this is where I, I hate being human. Anybody else? Like sometimes I just hate being human because I know that I'm letting people down that I'm failing people. And when you do, what do you want to do? Usually you feel great shame and you want to pull yourself away from the people that you failed because they're hurt. Now there's probably, it's just really, really hard to fail. But what happens when you fail to follow God? Especially when you really love him. Look, and I'm just going to lay this out here, okay? So we can just... I, I want you to, the truth is, many of you in this room have had your Bathsheba moment where, where you did something you never thought you would do. And, and, and I know, you guys know, right, that feeling like you never thought you'd do something and then you do it and it's just this incredible, weird tension inside your very being <laughs> because you're like, whoa, whoa, what am I doing? Like, and so some of us, let me just real quick, you have acted unethically at work. That's not you, and yet you did. <laughs> you embezzled funds. You stole something from your company. You do, you, and when, while you were doing it, you go, I can't believe I'm doing this. <laughs> but you did it. For most men, the first time you looked at pornography and you intentionally went there, you never wanted to do that, and yet there was this tension inside of you. Some of you have committed adultery. You you were with, like David, another man's wife. And you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> you were with another man's husband. And you're like, I would never do this. Some of you, you you've abused another person. Physically. Emotionally. Sexually. And when you did it, you're like, what, what, am I, what am I doing? See, we can't just read this David and Bathsheba story, all you Christians, well, we know this. No, what was going on in his heart? How do you respond when you fail with God? Well, I think there's three different ways to respond. You can harden your heart. You can actually do whatever you do, and you can, you can actually think it's not that big of a deal. You can actually disagree with God that it's not wrong. You can want the instant gratification that it brought instead of following God. So that's one way. You can harden your heart. Normally what happens is fear and shame. You feel a lot of fear and a ton of shame, and so you start hiding and withdrawing. You know what's interesting? With both of those, whether you harden your heart towards God or whether you feel fear and shame, both of those result in repeated behavior. They both result in you continuing to do something you never want to do. And some of you right now, 
are in repeated behavior that you never thought you'd do. And it's because you either harden your heart or because you have fear and shame. And then the other one, which obviously we're going to try to get to today, is that you can actually find freedom to move forward. When I was thinking of fear and shame, here's my illustration for today. Do you guys remember junior high dances? <laughs> right? Like, junior high dances are awesome. I don't know what they're like now, but I remember what they were like. And you just see, you know, it's like, especially when the slow song would come on, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and everybody would go sit, and it's like, there's just this fear, right, of that no one will ask me to dance, or maybe somebody will, and I don't know, I won't know what to do. And, ah, there's this weird thing about dancing. I can't remember if I've shared this before, but I was actually blessed to have an older sister who's four years older than me. And on Sundays after church, we would usually get home before my mom and dad, and Diane would turn on the music, and she actually taught me how to dance. So when I was a kid in elementary school, I learned how to dance. And I'll never forget, and it wasn't, she wasn't just like, don't just, right? That's how we dance. No, she, she's like making me put the hand out here and put my hand on her hip. And then she goes, no, here's how it works, David. You actually have to lead. You're the guy. You lead. You got to figure out how to move when you're dancing. And she goes, and when you lead, I'll follow you. Now, anybody, it's actually a pretty phenomenal thing to dance with somebody. I was going to actually bring Susie up here and dance with me, but I won't. It's okay. <laughs> but it, 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 I, I've, I've never followed somebody. I don't think I could, actually. I, I don't think I could. But it's so fun when you ask someone to dance. Like Susie and I, we, we, when we get to, you know, like at weddings, and it's like, will you dance with me? And she says, yes. And then I lead, and she just goes with me. And it's so, it's just awesome. Here's what I want to, I, here's what I don't want you to go home with today. When you fail, because you will. When you fail, dance with God. When you fail, dance with God. He's going to want to lead, and he's going to ask you to follow. He will lead when you fail, and he's going to ask you to follow. How does this work? Here's the first thing God does when you fail. He will convict you of your sin. God is the one. This is how it starts. <laughs> okay? You failed. God is going to reach out his hand and he'll go, will you dance with me? And what he's going to say is, i got to show you your sin. So here's what happened, right? God sends. So David does this horrific sin. So then he sends a prophet, Nathan, to David. And he says, and the first thing Nathan does, he goes, hey, I just got to tell you a story. There's a rich guy and there's a poor guy. The rich guy has so many sheep, he doesn't even know what to do with them. There's a poor guy who only has one little ewe lamb. <laughs> and it's like family to him. The lamb actually sleeps with him, eats his own food, drinks from his cup. This one little lamb is like a daughter to him. Well, then the rich guy had a guy visiting, and so he needed to slaughter a lamb for the meal. So instead of from all the lambs that he had, he went and stole the one ewe lamb from the poor man and slaughtered it. And it says, David was enraged with anger. And he said, that man must die. And then Nathan said to David, you're the man. You're the man. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? By doing what is evil in his eyes. Now, I, I just got to confess to you, 
It's kind of weird to me that David would rape a woman and then have her husband be killed and not be feeling a little weird about it. But for whatever reason, he was able to go on with his life. But God was not cool with David going on with his life. He loved him too much, so he sends Nathan to him. Here's what I'm going to tell you. For some of you in this room, maybe the dance actually needs to start today. And then maybe what you need to hear is God, because I, I, you know, and sometimes He might send a person to you, maybe to open up your eyes. But mainly, what God does is He just sends His own Spirit, and He starts knocking on the door of your heart, and He lets you point blank know this is not okay. And for some of you, I didn't list your deal. For some of you. There's just something that God's been asking you to stop doing, and you keep doing it. And you know this morning, he don't want you to do it. And I'm praying today that he would start the dance with you. And the first dance is convicting you of your sin. He, just, he needs to let you know he's going to start the dance by opening up your eyes. Some of you, there's something he's been asking you to do, and you won't do it. And you're saying no to God. And he's holding out his hand today. He said, would you dance with me? It starts with conviction. So God convicts, and then how do we respond? <laughs> so what David does is he confesses. So here's the dance. It all starts. God goes, I'm holding out my hand. I'm letting you know. Here you go. This is what's wrong. He's going to point out what's wrong to you. And then how do you respond? David confesses. Here's the psalm. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right, God, in your verdict and justified when you judge. So when God points something out inside you, don't hide your sin. Now, Obviously, confession, right? So confession is not like, hey, God, I need to let you know what I did. <laughs> because the only reason David even knew what he did is God had to go, boink. God points the finger and says, this thing right here. So when you confess, it's not like to let God know. So why do we have to confess? Because confession means I agree with you. That's what it means. At its basis, I agree. So when you confess to God, what you're doing is you're get, it's a chance for your heart to get in alignment with God. <laughs> I agree. And that's what David was saying. I know now my transgression. It's always before me. You are right in your verdict, God. You are right. So maybe for some of you today, that's just your step this morning to get back in the dance with God is the thing he's been bugging with you, you just got to grab his hand this morning and say, God, your verdict is right. Quit fighting him, quit wrestling with him, and just agree with him. Now, I don't have time, but I'm going to write these, these you got to write these things down, but the biggest lessons for me in confession, number one, is you have to do it specifically uh, I, and I, I've shared this story before, I, but I, when I do my general confessions, hey, God, please forgive me for what I did Friday. I will hear the Spirit say, what did you do Friday? <laughs> and that's when you go, well, you know. 
I know, but you need to say it. And I tell you, when you specifically say, God, forgive me for raping this woman and murdering her husband, boom. Now you agree. So you got to confess specifically. That actually had power for me that I didn't have when I confessed generally. Here's the second thing that makes confession powerful is do it publicly. And I'm not saying here, come on up and tell all your sin. I'm just saying one person with stuff that I'd hidden for all my life that I would never tell anybody when I shared it with one person, when it got into the light and I never thought it would, the power of that sin died. So you got to agree with him. And what happens, this is so cool, is David actually starts dancing with God. When God pointed out the sin, he confessed. He goes, I agree with you. This was chapter 11, right? So David's life was great. Chapter 11, everything falls apart. Well, right now, I'm reading chapter, uh, 1 Kings. 1 Kings is the story of his son Solomon. You know what's crazy? First 10 chapters, Solomon's world rocks. He's the most wise person on the planet. He's got, God's like, I'll give you, oh, you just want wisdom? I'll give it to you, and I'll give you everything else. And so he's just got palaces, and he's got, he's got riches beyond glory. His life is good. And this is so funny to me. Chapter 11. Chapter 11, everything changes. Is that why there's chapter 11 bankruptcy, by the way? <laughs> if anybody knows, would you actually tell me? I actually wonder, is that where they got chapter 11 from? Bankruptcy, right? Because it means you're unable to pay an outstanding debt. I know it's for companies, but actually individuals with a lot of debt can actually qualify for chapter 11. And what is it? It's a chance for a fresh start. How interesting. Solomon, though, what did he do? So his life is great through 10 chapters. Chapter 11, it says, Solomon, however... Loved a lot of women. He loved a lot of foreign women. And the Lord made it very clear, do not intermarry, for they will surely turn your heart after other gods. And then it says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. They both blew it. <laughs> they both failed. But David agreed with God that it was a failure, that it was a sin. And Solomon, you know what it says? He goes, he held fast to those women in love. He didn't agree. This is living, says Solomon. <laughs> this is living. And you know what happens? The story just falls apart, man. It just falls apart his whole life, and those beyond him. So Solomon decided not to dance with God. And that's your choice, to agree with him or to not, to take his hand and start dancing or to say no. And it's your choice. But I want to tell you what, man, when you confess to God, literally, and you agree with him, his hand grabs yours. Something happens and you connect with God. I was just telling somebody this week, uh, when I was in college, uh, I transferred to a Christian school halfway through. Dr. Dennis Kinlaw was the president. 
And he was an elderly gentleman that everybody revered at Asbury College. Real skinny guy, you know. But I, what I loved about him is whenever he would get really serious, he'd always lean on his podium like this, and he'd put out his finger. And it was cool. It was nice. I actually have weird fingers, but his were like really bony. And he'd point his fingers, and I'll never forget one of the things he said. He said, just remember this. Whenever God points out the sin in your life, it's always connected to the hand to offer you the help that you need. You guys, when he points it out, he just wants to grab your hand so you'll dance with him. So he leads, and then you confess, and you follow, and then what does God do? Then he cleanses. He convicts, you confess, and then God goes, I cleanse. Look at this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. This is what David was asking for. Man, yesterday, uh, Susan and I spent almost all afternoon working in our backyard and in our, in our garage, cleaning out our garage and getting everything ready. I mean, it was a long, hard day. I drank so much water and Gatorade, and it was like, and nothing would, I just, I couldn't get enough liquid in me, right? It was just one of those days. So late at night, kids are finally in bed. I'm sitting in the, in the room, t- taking off my clothes, getting ready for bed. And Susie walks in, and she goes, I got a shower. And I'm like, me too. Why? Because when you feel like that, you're going, I am not laying next to you. And your wife is going, thank you. <laughs> Right? When you feel dirty and grimy, the last thing you want to do is just go, oh, and embrace somebody. David was so aware of his filth that he's like, God, you just got to cleanse me now. Just wash me. Just clean me up. And that's what God does. 1 John 1, 9. I'm telling you, you cannot be a Christian without memorizing this verse. Because you will need it. <laughs> if we confess our sins, right? He convicts, we agree, we confess. But if you do, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify. And actually the word means cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And here's what's interesting, you guys. is David, when he cried out, he goes, God, according to your unfailing love and your compassion, he goes, cleanse me. Wash me. But here's what's crazy. John, in this verse, he says, if we confess our sins, it doesn't say he's loving and compassionate to forgive us of all of our sin. He says he's faithful and just. Now, here's what I got to tell you. This is super, super important. If you, if, you, if you walk in church one time, this is a really good key thing to hear. God can't forgive you And he doesn't forgive you just because he loves you and is compassionate towards you. Most people think, well, God just loves everybody and and he'll just forgive everybody. Listen to me. God doesn't forgive you or cleanse you because he loves you. He loves you. 
And he is so compassionate that he sent his one and only son into the world. See, this is Christianity. God so loved you that he's like, I'm going to send Jesus Christ into the world. And then on the cross, like, what in the heck was Jesus doing on there? Why did he come down here? He says, well, the, you know, Christmas is like the angels are like, you have a Savior. Praise to God. There's a Savior is born unto you. Jesus says, I came to give my life away and make it a ransom to make a payment for you. So God loves you. Yes, he is so compassionate towards you. But here's what has to happen. God has to punish your sin. He just does because he's just. He's faithful and just to punish sin. But when you put your faith in Christ, it says that Christ took your adultery, your pornography, your abuse, your lying, your theft, your unwillingness to follow God. He took everything you've ever done and he brought it into himself and God punished your sin. Because he loves you, and he's compassionate. And so then, now he can forgive you. See, because when you receive Christ, all it says all your sin is in Christ, and Christ receives your punishment. God actually punishes your sin. This is, oop, oh, we were so close. Throw it back up there. This is why this verse is so important. If Christ was on the cross, punishing your sin causing you to receive the punishment, if that's what was happening on the cross, then God will never punish your sin again. He's just. Can you imagine a judge saying, 10 years, and the guy sends 10 years, and he actually pays the penalty, he pays his debt, and he gets out of prison, and the judge goes, 10 more. I mean, you automatically go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not just. You guys, here's the greatest news in all the world. He convicts you of sin. You confess, you agree with him. You receive Christ and Christ and then God absolutely cleanses your sin. He's faithful and just to do it. Here's what I know. I will never be punished for my sin. Amen? Come on, man. I don't know about you, some of you are freaking out this morning because you think God is so against you, condemning you, and accusing you for what you've done. You haven't experienced a day of freedom in years because of something you've done. Come on, man. This is your day to be free. All right. Where am I? Yeah, church. Thank you. Okay. But the dance isn't done, right? So God convicts, David confesses, God cleanses, and then what's David do? He gets cleansed, and then he repents. Now he repents. He goes, now I'm not. Well, thanks, right? He's not going to be like, man, thanks for forgiving me, God. I'm going to go find me another woman. <laughs> now you laughed, but there are some of us who actually think it's okay to have God forgive us, and I'll just keep doing it. No, no, listen. David repents, so the dance keeps going. David follows the cleansing by turning to God, offering all of his life, thank you so much for forgiving me. Now I choose to turn away from that sin, and I'm going to follow you. Look at this. 
He goes, you don't delight in sacrifice or I bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, God, you will not despise. What's David doing? You guys, he's not going through the motions. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I remember I had all these friends in college and I, I never knew this. I was new. I was a freshman. I didn't know that like Thursday night was the main party scene. Like, I think I, let's just get started early, right? Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. I mean, I can't even go into the stories, right, that I saw on my dorm room floor. <laughs> and far be it from any one of those guys to miss church to be absolved from their sin so they could do it again next weekend. That's what happened. Here, but David's going, that's not what you desire. The dance, you guys, God, God doesn't dance like that. He doesn't go, hey, I totally forgive you and I cleanse you so you can just keep doing it. No, the dance continues when you get cleansed and then you go, and I have a broken and a contrite heart. What I'm offering you, God, thank you for forgiving me. What I'm offering you is my life. I'm offering you all of me. And then David says this, then, I, then I'll teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. God, you did this for me. Now I'm going to help everybody else know that they can turn to you too. Verse 15, he says, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You guys see, this is the sincerity and the authenticity of confession and cleansing. It results in repentance. And you guys, this is when the dance starts getting good. Oh, will you dance with me? You. Let me point out. Let me, let me, will you, I'm going to just show you what's, what's, why you're not connected to me. Will you dance with me? I agree with you, God. Let's go. All right. I cleanse you. This is so good. Now, God, just take my life. And the dance keeps going. And what does God do when you repent? He restores you. He restores you. Some of you this morning could be restored. Your heart of fear could become a heart of freedom. Your heart of shame and covering could become a heart of absolute joy and peace. He wants to restore you. Look at this. David says, let me hear joy and gladness, God. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Oh, my gosh. When I have really blown it with God as a pastor, that's really fun. So many times I need him to restore the joy of my salvation. Some of you have not felt the joy in so long because you haven't been dancing with God. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, what does God do? Here's what David knows. God gives you the pure heart. God gives you, he renews your spirit and a steadfast, right, spirit, one that's different, one that's not going to go do the same thing. He restores the joy of your salvation and he grants you a willing spirit to walk with him to sustain you. Isn't that cool? 
You guys, this is what God wants to give you, man. I, here's what I know. If you're really a Christ follower, you want to follow him. I know you do. And, and you got duped in. You got caught in. You didn't confess. You got too much shame. You didn't believe you were forgiven. And you've been living in darkness. And God today is going, dance with me. Oh, okay, God, I agree. Oh, I cleanse you. Oh, I give you my life. Oh, I restore you. <laughs> this is so good, man. And then what you do is you just go, I'm in. And I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. This takes faith that requires faith. And I want to tell you what, you know what happens with David? Let me just drive this story home. How did, how did he do this? And this is where it, it just blew me away. So God did tell Nathan to tell David, hey, let David know his sins are forgiven. He's not going <laughs> to die. He's not going to die. But his son is. He's not going to die, but his son is. So here's the rest of the story. I was going to tell it, but let me just read it right from Scripture. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. So David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted, and he spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground, the elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food from them. And on the seventh day, the child died. And David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we tell him now that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. How many of you, because of your shame, and this guilt and condemnation and the hurt that you caused others thought you might do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied. He's dead. Don't miss this. David's actions resulted in the death of his son. Paul's actions, okay, guy who wrote most of the New Testament, Paul's actions resulted in the death of hundreds of Christians. Now, why am I saying that? I'm guessing most of you in this room haven't caused the death death of somebody. Maybe some of you have. But most of you haven't come to the point where you actually murdered people with your rebellion against God. But potentially the two greatest men in the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, were murderers. And this is when I go, <laughs> if I did that, could I really be free? And some of you are going, I can't be free with what I've done. It's just too bad. Come on. It's not too bad. That's the news today. That's the news. Then look at, so David, and so how does he respond? His son just died. Didn't work, man. I thought maybe if I tried. He said, David got up from the ground. He'd been the whole week on the ground. He gets up from the ground, and after he washed, he put on lotions, and he changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord, and he worshiped him. 
God just killed this kid. He worshiped him. And then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. And his attendant said, uh, why are you acting this way? <laughs> While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child is dead, and you get up and eat. And he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. He went to her, made love to her. She gave birth to a son. They named him Solomon. And the Lord loved him. <laughs> Do you guys see what happened? What happens here? From the woman that he committed adultery with, the woman whose, son, whose husband he murdered, from that woman results another son, and the Lord loves him. What is the result? This is so insane. What is the result of this horrific sin of David? The lineage from David to Jesus Christ. The very lineage which leads to Christ, the redemption of the world, when you go to the New Testament, it says David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Just want to make sure you guys all remember that in the New Testament. Remember the Old Testament? Even if you murder somebody, commit adultery with somebody, no matter what you've done, God can redeem your sin. So can, what do you do today? If you actually confess and God cleanses you and you repent, and then God restores you and you follow him, but the consequences fall. What do you do today? You accept the consequences of your sin. Even if some bad stuff happens because of what you did, it happened to David too. And you just say with God, you are right in your verdict and you're justified when you judge. And then you know what you do? You get up. <laughs> today, get up, get off the floor. Wash yourself clean. As we're going to do, we're going to do communion here. Wash yourself clean in the blood of Jesus. This is all such a beautiful picture. Wash yourself again for the forgiveness of all your sin. Change your clothes, right? He was in sackcloth. He was mourning. What does the Bible say? Turn your mourning into dancing. <laughs> That's what David did. He's like, all right, man, God's forgiven me. I'm putting on new clothes. And then he worships God. He dances with God absolutely engages with him. He eats, which means he regenerizes re himself. He gets energy again, and you're going to take the body of Christ today, and you're going to eat it. Let it renew your spirit. And then he makes amends where he needs to with his wife, and then he moves forward with a faith that requires faith. Every one of you in this room, no matter what you've done, you failed. And Jesus said, I love you. I will pay for your failure. Just confess your sin to me, and I will cleanse you. I will be faithful and just, and then repent, and I'll restore you, and you'll be able to follow me 
and you'll live.